Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joel Allo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And I think we're going to have an interesting show for you today. Uh, in the first half, we're going to talk about some of our struggles that each, each of us are dealing with as 10 year plus into our author journeys or our, actually our author careers. I, <laughs> if you count all the years I was workshopping and trying to get published, uh, lots more than 10 years. Um, but we'll each share a couple of ours, things that we're struggling with. And then in the second half of the episode, we'll discuss some of the struggles that you guys, listeners uh, for, who posted in our Six Figure Authors Facebook group, shared because um, when I asked if anybody had any struggles they wanted to share, I, I think there were quite a few responses. So uh, we will try to offer some insightful comments or at least comments and uh, at the very least maybe hearing us discuss it and hearing that other people are sharing your your struggles will be helpful and at least you know you're not alone before we jump into that why don't you guys share whatever news you have right oh uh i uh greater lands three the the, the third of my new epic fantasy series is in the hands of the editor and i already have the cover so i'm probably going to release it a week after it comes back from the editor whenever that is um i haven't really uh, you know that's what will happen and then uh, a few weeks after that i'll be releasing a uh, top level player which is sort of a sort of a lit rpg type thing it's in the vein of uh, Ready Player One, as the name might suggest. Uh, that might take the place of Pizza Dragon as my most bizarre release to date because there's not a, a lot of strange things about it. But uh, Pizza Dragon was not at all to market, and there is clearly a market for this, so hopefully I am wrong about that. Uh, after that, it's going to be a little bit of a dry spell for releases because my next editing slot isn't until February, but I probably will be releasing some box sets and stuff. We'll see. It depends on cover art and whatnot. Uh, I haven't decided on my lease schedule, my release schedule for next year. I'm either going to try to do just immediately three more epic fantasies in the same series to sort of do a full series contiguously, uh, or I'll be revisiting my urban fantasy, which has only got three books out, and I was plotted it for five, so maybe try to wrap that one up. We'll see how I feel. Uh, I haven't decided what I'm doing for NaNoWriMo either, uh, but since I've been shooting for epic fantasies, I probably don't want to write the next one during the 30-day challenge because it'll get away from me. So I'll pick a palette cleanser uh, to, to do in April, uh, to no, uh, November. I just need to decide what it'll be. Uh, it might be a sequel to one of the older NaNoWriMo books, just so I can start up, basically have another pseudo series going. And because I've seen some comments uh, about this, uh, I am the person who's responsible for the Six Figure Authors YouTube page. Uh, if, if you see anything get posted there, and if you make any comments there, I'm the one doing the posting, and I am the one who sees the comments. Uh, I don't usually answer comments because, well, I don't have a whole lot of social energy. <laughs> and uh, uh, also, most of the questions that are asked there are, are planned to be answered later on. But thanks, everybody, honestly, uh, for being one of the most constructive and supportive uh, comment sections I've ever seen on YouTube. There's virtually no uh, negative stuff going on. But even if there was, I'm the only person who'd see it. It goes to my email. So there you go. That's to answer that question, which I've seen asked a few times. Yeah, the rest of us, me and Andrew, don't even know that thing exists, basically, because it's on Joe's. Google channel or Google account. Um, but yeah, thanks for everyone who listens and comments there. I have popped by a couple times, but I don't get 
any alerts or anything with something, you know, if something gets posted. Honestly, I get alerts from my own author YouTube page and I don't see those either because I think they go to a Gmail account I don't use. Um, it's tough. After a while you start getting, it's a good problem to have to get to the point where you have enough like readers and authors and stuff that want to talk to you that you get email, Facebook, messages, Twitter DMs. And I don't even know my page has a different message account from my face, personal Facebook. You guys have that too, right? So you got to figure out where those are. And I feel bad when I miss things, but it just happens all the time. Someday I'll actually maybe hire someone to take care of that stuff. And Joe, before I go into my news, did you say the new book is weirder than, cause it's not a pizza dragon, right? It's a pizza oven dragon. It's right. It's just pizza to be oven clear. Dragon. Yeah. A pizza dragon is ironically much more normal than what I actually wrote. Yeah. Yes. All my dragons would eat pizza. Who wouldn't? <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see how that goes for you. Um, for my news, I published the first and second novels in my Witch in Wolfwood series. Kind of stole that title from my, uh, I don't even remember the name of the original one. A Wolf and It's the Mary Stewart book. Now that I've got mine, it's all messed up in there. Something in Wolfwood, A Walk in Wolfwood. That was it. So I swiped the title from that as a nod to the very first werewolf book I ever read in like fifth grade. Um, but anyway, this was supposed to be a trilogy of short books and my fun summer project since I had a bunch of stuff going on this summer. I didn't think I could finish. I didn't think I could focus on a big epic fantasy novel at the time. But it turns out that witches and werewolves sell better than anything else I've done lately. Um, and also, as I was writing the third book, I realized... I felt like I just kind of built up this town and introduced a bunch of characters. So I wasn't ready to end things yet. So, so I do have a pre-order on the fourth epic fantasy novel. So I have to, I'm back working on that now. But um, afterwards, I'm planning to do two or three more werewolf books. Then I promised another of my sci-fi books too. We'll talk about this problem of, of writing in three different series and genres in my struggles section. Um, but gosh, the yeah, the fun summer project, I'm kind of amused that it, the first book, it's only 99 cents, but it spent like a week in the top 100 on Amazon. And um, I had book two coming out right after at 3.99. So it's actually doing pretty decently financially for such a small little project. I, I do know from a past experience that it's generally a lot easier to sell something, set, you know, for sci-fi and fantasy people that's set here on earth in contemporary times versus a world or galaxy far, far away. It can just appeal to a, a wider audience. Well, you know, it can still be firmly in the fantasy camp, but um, I also had a good run with my modern day urban fantasy series last year too. So if I was smart, I would double down on more of that kind of stuff, but we all know how that goes. <laughs> Andrea, do you want to share any of your news? I thought you were going to say, we all know how I'm not smart. <laughs> I was like, no, but you can tell us how your multiple genres are going on your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, um, I mean, the biggest thing that's been going on in my news is surgery, right? I mean, that's been consuming everything in my whole life. Um, it's been a really hard recovery, and I've done major re reconstructive surgery on my, both of my knees before, and just it's not been fun. They found an extra tendon in my ankle and they fixed torn things and, and loose things and removed that extra tendon. And it's just been very painful. <laughs> it's been a lot of pain, but if you want to see my incisions, my scars, go check out my Facebook account. <laughs> um, my main one, not my page. And I posted pictures there because I don't know, I'm, I've got a scar. Okay. Like I had a horrible surgery and now I've got an awesome scar to show. <laughs> And it's not in a place where people, you know, it's not on my face or something, which I wouldn't have liked anyway. So it, it did go well though. And recovery, that's pretty much, like I said, pretty much everything that's been, I've been focusing on 
Um, but I've been feeling really determined lately to get on with my dang life and get back to writing and homeschool. I've been thinking about my goals and I've been thinking about writing and, and thinking about organizing and getting back on track. And I've been thinking about my plots a lot and really looking forward to implementing, um, and also having the meds fully out of my system because I have this desire to write, but when I sit down to do it, my brain is just that fog from the narcotics that just takes so long to go away. It's, it just, I can't grasp a plot and characters. It's been really, really frustrating. And so, um, it's been a hard recovery two weeks and a half out and I'm still in a lot of pain. I just want to be better already. Um, but one thing I did discover during re my recovery process is an app that Google put out. It's called Google primer. And I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but what it is, is it's a little app that gives you five to 10 minute lessons on various business things. And so they go over marketing and they have advanced and intermediate and beginning things and just all sorts of topics. So when you download it, you tell them what you want to learn. And then it gives you these five minute lessons that it guides you through. And so those of you, I mean, if you want to go check it out, you know, if you want to strengthen your, um, like your advertising, your marketing, just get some basics down or even get advanced down. It's just something that I've been looking at playing around with it playing around with some of the lessons are really stupid, but some of them are really good. Uh, so it is free. So I just thought that was really great as a way. Cause like right now I can't really think very well, but I was like five minute lessons, you know? So I've been doing that in between recovering and, um, just wanted to pass that on to people. If anybody had never heard of it, then, you know, it's called Google primer. And that's just something, you know, I thought was kind of interesting anyway. So there's that. <laughs> Um, uh, Lindsay, did anybody, Lindsay usually comment on what I have to say. So, oh, sorry. I was, didn't prepare myself to comment. Uh, I haven't heard of that program, but I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and find it in, in case anybody wants to check it out. And hopefully you'll be feeling much better from your surgery pretty soon. Willow, ha I told you about my dog's knee surgery and she was supposed to have like eight to 10 weeks, I think of just walking like really light exercise and super hard to keep a dog down. So <laughs> hopefully you're a little more chill than she was, but she was only three at the time too. So you're a little more mature than she was. So you can probably keep from climbing trees. Hopefully. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I know it's tempting. It is very But um, yeah, did you want to jump in and share your struggle first besides, or maybe it is the surgery. I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually I just, it, it's great because it's uh, we have a nice smooth transition from my news into our struggles. So my first struggle, um, I know since I, I just shared info about information about my surgery, it's not going to be a surprise. Uh, in the last decade of being an independent author, I've moved five times. I've dealt with some really, really weird health problems that have caused lots of 12 rounds of antibiotics and four surgeries and all sorts of really, really crazy things. Um, um, let's see, I've had really weird, weird health problems. I've had three kids and 11 surgeries and all of the surgery, were, all of the surgeries were unexpected except two of the C-sections. The first C-section was not expected or planned. <laughs> Once I realized my body doesn't know how to have babies. It's like, I'm going to have to have the rest of my babies by C-section. And that turned out to be accurate. So anyway, um, it seems like every two to four months, something big happens that totally disrupts my life and schedule. Um, I'm smart when it comes to marketing, I know how to get my books to sell. And I'm really happy with how effective I've been considering everything that's gone on in my life, but still it's, it's, it's very discouraging. You know, during our good times, we're like, when I'm not having health problems and it's been like a month or two since I had health problems, we're like, why aren't things going better than they are? Like, what the heck is going on? And then I'm like, oh, wait, two months ago, I had to stop writing for two months, you know, or three months or four months or whatever. It's just like every two to four months, something insane happens that just totally 
destroys my life and just makes it so I can't be productive for a while. Like surgery. I don't know if you guys have ever had surgery, right? Anesthesia makes you have this brain fog and then the narcotics, it just, it doesn't go away. And it's really, really difficult. Or I have like random health issues that have me, you know, running to the bathroom or puking, things like that. It's just been really, really crazy. Anyway, it's, it's really hard not to ask why, like, why am I dealing with all this crap when friends of mine seem to have it so easy? And in my notes, I put a smiley face because I don't hate my friends <laughs> for having success, but it's really hard. It's really, really hard not to feel bitter about that. Um, I chose to have kids, but I didn't choose the other things. And and honestly, this is something I always say, like my kids help me be more productive. I have had a better schedule with writing since having kids than I did ever before having them. Um, but health insurance, health insurance, health issues, they don't help me be more productive. Like, you know, anyway, so my first struggle has been in external influencers that are out of my control and then dealing with the accompanying discouragement and the inability to be productive and the, the, just like how having my whole schedule completely disrupted every few months. And I mean, obviously that's going to make it really hard to be productive and really hard to, to make books sell, you know, anyways, that's my, that's my first struggle. So <laughs> I don't want to go after Andrea. <laughs> no, I, I actually think a lot of our listeners post this, you know, maybe not 11 surgeries necessarily, but like kind of out of their control, things happening and just not being able to get into a rhythm and writing. And I feel like a lot of people come to writing because they can't work a normal job. Like I know I had to figure out how to make money living from home because I had such horrible RSI pain and all this stuff I was dealing with. It was much worse in my twenties. Um, I did a lot of work on myself and my diet and everything to good over a lot of that. Like I'm still prone to issues, but I had to figure it out. I thought I was going to have like a computer science, degree, you know, career. I was going to learn how to, I was taking programming in school and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like, um, maybe I can't type 40, 50 hours a week necessarily. So it's like, you're driven to figure something out from home. So I think it's great that you, despite all this are able to, you know, make, make money, make a living with you and your husband from the books you've written and continue to write. And I love that about writing, that it is a thing. Even if you have to stop for two weeks, you can pick up and kind of just work on it piecemeal. And eventually you have something that you can hopefully sell. And that's the hard part for everybody is figuring out how to sell what you have, but um, hopefully things will look up for you. And uh, Joe, did you want to chime in at all either to something like that? One of those yeah. words. Yeah, it's it's um like a lot of the stuff we're gonna be talking about are like unique to writing and like things that obviously because of the nature of the podcast, but like interruptions and unexpected things that you have to deal with are something that everybody has to deal with in every walk of life. It's almost like we get so hyper focused on the the problems specific to writing that we sometimes forget that the problems we experience elsewhere in our life are in every other line of work as well. And they don't go away when you choose writing, like the, all that same stuff is still applies. So it's, it's, I don't, don't want to say it's useful, but thank you for having these problems. It's very useful, but uh, it helps us to sort of keep in mind, uh, uh, you know, that life happens and, and you need to have a plan and you need to sort of go with the flow. All right. For myself, which would be like the Crimea River problem after, after Andrea's like 87 surgeries that she's dealing with. Um, so in my case, I just, one of the ones I'm kind of working through now is just the fact that, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have quite a bit of success, especially these last few years. And now I'm kind of wrestling with the desire to 
I want to slow down a little bit and take more time off. Like I used to take more time off and I'm like, what has happened these last four or five years? Like I, you get, you get some success and then you don't want to lose it. Right. You don't want to see your income just slide downwards. You're like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And to some extent I've done it to myself where I, I had the pen name. I did a different genre. I've written under sci-fi and fantasy and I have a newsletter in each one. And it's like, I have all these ideas I want to write and all these books and different series I'm committed to writing going forward. So it's like, even if I want to slow down, I, I feel like I got to wait a year <laughs> before I'm caught up with everything. And COVID has been a little bit of an excuse for me to like, well, I might as well just work because what else am I going to do, you know, other than occasionally I take the dogs hiking and that stuff. But I've let myself be, I don't know, pretty shut in this last year and a half, just not wanting to get it. And especially before the vaccines, but even now it's like, you got the vaccine and you only had like three weeks where you were like, yay, we can go out. Then they were like, no, no, mask up again. You can't go out. You're not free after all. So still hoping for that stuff to get better. But like I said, I've been kind of using it somewhat as an excuse too, to just stay and work and write more books. Um, But yeah, that's sort of the thing I'm struggling with. Like, I know I want to take more time off. I want to slow down a little bit, but I have all these projects lined up that I got to do. So uh, I mean, I don't have to, that's it. I do it to myself. I don't know if you guys have had this experience. I think I know people too, that have retired and then they can't handle it. And then they volunteer and suddenly they're doing so much volunteering that it's another full-time job and they're just busy and like complaining as much as when they worked. So I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Uh, I told, I totally agree. I mean, like my, my success and scale was, is, has been smaller than yours, but you know, a few years ago, back before we had our third child, like when I was doing really, really well for a few years in a row, just the thought of slowing down and like not having, I don't know, just, I had all these ideas of things I wanted to write. And I knew that if I slowed down, like, I know we want to have another kid, but I know that if I slow down that production schedule, it is kind of causes a little bit of panic. I don't care what level of success you're at. And this is something I've tried to explain to my husband. He's like, yeah, but when we're making like six and seven figures again, like we won't panic. We'll have been there and we'll be done making money. I'm like, no, we won't. This is the way the human psyche works. Like, this is how we're built. We, we panic when we see things possibly dipping or when, like, like knowing that we're going to have another kid. I'm like, all these ideas I want to write. And now that I'm writing romance, I'm not going to be able to write those fantasies for a long time because I have made a complete switch over. And so I'm like, all those fantasy ideas I wanted to write and, you know, I, I, I've had to put them on the back burner and that's, you know, I'll get, I'll get to them eventually, but I'm like, it's slowed. I mean, everything it's I I'm yeah. It's a struggle. I, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's very much like when I was having my best years too, it's one of those where it's like, I was hyper fixated on like, okay, what's causing me to be, have to be this successful and how can I give these people more of what they want immediately? And yeah. Um, Particularly, and it, it sort of flows into my struggle, uh, the fear of the slide. Uh, and once you start seeing the slide, the fear of what's causing it and how to turn it around, like you just don't want the slide uh, and your income to start. So I can totally understand how you'd, you'd start working yourself like crazy to stay where you are. Because um, my struggle currently is, is in contrast to Lindsay's. In the last couple of years, I've been seeing a fraction of my prior income. Like my best years, I, I, uh, I'm making much, much less than that. Still enough to survive, but uh, way, way less than I used to. And 
over the past three years, I have taken three different full year tactics to see if it will, if I could change my trajectory of my earnings. Uh, I did one year where I was releasing one book in each of my three main series, which is my old tactic the thing I was doing back when I was having my best years and it didn't change much. Uh, so then I did, a, a took a, a whole year, uh, to prepare a rapid release in what I thought was a, uh, you know, uh, to market, uh, topic and, really it did very poorly. It was really, I might've been my worst year. And then this year I did a semi-rapid release on one of my greatest strengths, which is urban fantasy, uh, uh, epic fantasy. And I'm doing better this year than last year, but it's nothing compared to what it was in the past. Uh, it's, regardless of what I did over the course of the past few years, it seemed like my, my income was continuing to slide. And again, I'm making a living. Uh, I, I, it feels strange to complain, uh, like even in my case, when I'm probably making more than 99.95% of the people who've decided to try writing, uh, it's, it's hard to say that I'm nervous about my income when I'm making what a lot of people would work, gladly work five years to get to. But, uh, you know, it's distressing to see the slope start to drop off. And, and, uh, so it's doubly so when it doesn't feel like you have any effect over it, like the greatest struggle in all of what I've just described is feeling as though nothing that I do makes any real difference. Cause, uh, the, the parts that I have control over that I'm really like, I can put together an excellent writing, uh, an excellent and dedicated writing procedure. Like I can get a book out in any number of different ways and I can write a lot of different genres of books, but the parts that I can't really get my teeth into seem to be the parts that actually matter. So it's like, oh, well, I can't, I still haven't gotten a good, a good routine with my, my advertising. I should get better at that. And I start to struggle with those things. So you could feel really, uh, really desperate once things start to slide. Yeah. I feel like in the last few years, it's definitely become harder just to launch a series and have it do well. If you don't have a lot, if you don't have a big newsletter, if you don't have a big, budget <laughs> to put into advertising to really push things those first couple of weeks. Like I know you have a readership and a fan base and your books get great reviews. Your readers love them. So it's, it's hard for me even looking in. My only thing is like, well, you know, I, I think I suggested the epic fantasy, like focus on where you've had the most success and hopefully that will do well for you. And, you know, you only have two outright, so you can still have more to go and they're beautiful covers. People should check them out. There's a dragon on the second one, but the first one is cool too. So it's not like I, you know, with some people I'm like, Oh, well, obviously that book doesn't sell, you know, he made the cover himself and the blurb is also are awful. So, but yeah, it, I mean, I think it's getting tougher and tougher to make it as sort of a not right to market person as sort of a person that's writing their passion and that's semi-commercial, like it was easier. Um, and, and I don't necessarily know what the answer is. <laughs> so keep trying, Joe. Buck up. <laughs> Maybe Andrew has wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have wisdom. I mean, because this is pretty much the situation I'm in. So, <laughs> like, my, you know, did really, really well a couple of years ago and not doing as well right now. Though, um, I'm I switched to a genre that I'm I didn't write ever before. So, like, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, writing romance. I've written romance in the past, but I switched 100 to writing romance and. Which actually leads to my next struggle. So I'm going to go ahead and go into that. Um, so honestly, like this was, I don't know. I think that most authors struggle with getting their books to sell. Um, and so I didn't want to mention that as, a, as one of my primary struggles. But my next struggle is related to my first one, just because my first struggle is 
it affects everything in my life. You know, all of, all of the interruptions I've had, that really does affect everything. And it's hard to know how successful I could be if I weren't having those interruptions. So maybe if I weren't getting interrupted every like five minutes, I would be writing the way I am, what the way I write and my books wouldn't be selling. And so I'd be telling you guys a different struggle and be like, nobody buys my books. <laughs> um, but Anyway, so my next struggle is related to my first one. I've started a new pen name. I have two books published under that pen name. Those two books have done better in the last four months with only one of those books published that whole four months. The second one was only published two of those months. Um, then my last fantasy series, which is five books, has in the two years since it was published. <laughs> like my flagship series is still doing decently. My Mosaic Chronicles and my Coven Chronicles are also doing well. Clinic um, Chronicles is actually doing really well. But um, but anyway, so these, these two books in my romance series, they're, they're doing, I'm trying to read what my notes here are saying. Sorry. I'm trying to figure out what's, what I'm trying to say here. This is silly. Romance is good, easy and doing yeah. well. And fantasy, not yes, exactly <laughs> fantasy. Like I write my fantasy according to the way I want to read it. And I ignore tropes and I ignore rules because I don't really like the way a lot of authors do that just because fantasy is my passion but I read romance. I very, very rarely read fantasy. And I know that's a problem. And that's why my fantasy books are hard to sell is because I'm not as familiar with fantasy tropes other than like the hero's journey. Anyway, so my romance books, I haven't even told my last, my readers, my last romance book is available because I want to do a couple, I want to make a couple changes and I'm still running Facebook ad tests to, you know, before I hit the ground running really hard, you know, anyway, so I'm not, I haven't told anybody it's published and yet it's selling. I'm like, like I get downloads, more downloads on those two books than I do on my fantasy books, which is really not encouraging because I'm like, I put so much work into my fantasy. And, and, and the reason I'm make, I'm the reason I'm mentioning this as a struggle is because it's really frustrating to have something that's doing well and know that if I had the ability to add to that, that if I could push it, that it would do so much better than it is. And I'm like, that's telling me that I'm not a horrible author in this new genre, new to me genre, because I'm like, if, if it's downloading without anybody saying anything, you know, I mean, that's really encouraging, but I can't do anything about it. And, um, my goal, my goal is for that to change this week. Dang it. <laughs> like in the words of Mr. Darcy, I shall conquer this. I shall. And by conquer it, I mean, get the drugs out of my system and walk again and get in the house cleaned and get the, all the boxes unpacked and get the things hang on, hung on the wall and you know, finally finish settling in anyway. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, uh, like I was saying earlier, talking about like what's in your control and what isn't in, in your control. It, I can absolutely see why it would be maddening to be like, I'm seeing a level of success uh, that like this is with no fuel on the tank. This is all on momentum, and I gosh darn it, if I could just if I could just like hit the gas on this. So yeah, I can see how it would be. It, it'd be like being forced to sit still, you know, where you're just you're getting more and more fidgety. So uh, yeah, especially if it was like unplanned. Like earlier, talk about try to have you know figure out why I was having any success. Uh, when when you do a lot of stuff and don't succeed, and then don't do any and do succeed you start to get in your own head about where exactly the success was coming from in the first place yeah as i was saying earlier i'm amused that like the the fun little summer project <laughs> a third of the size of the epic fantasy novels i will not be surprised if that ends up making more of that series than the epic fantasy series in the long run we'll see the epic fantasy at least has it's in ku so it's got page reads going for it 
Um, but yeah, I actually had the same kind of experience when I did the pen name and the sci-fi romance. And I have no idea for those listening, looking for the hot new genre. This was like 2015, I think. So can I, I can't promise it'd be anything similar, but I remember I released the first book at 99 cents and I was doing it incognito, incognito too. You know, I didn't tell anybody about the pen name and people started buying it. I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> like, how are they even finding it? You know I mean? It was 99 cents. So, but still, I never had that experience like with my early fantasy it was crickets when I put those first books out there was hardly anything in the Kindle store back then and still I had to like I remember trying a whole bunch of things and going on k-boards really somebody please buy my book I'll buy your book if you buy my book which seemed totally legit at the time desperately legit but yeah that's just to say that sometimes the uh the books and the genres and whatever that were not the ones that you really wanted to succeed because you put so much time and effort are the ones that do the best all i can say is double down on that romance there's a reason i'm planning more werewolf books after this next epic fantasy uh i guess it's back to me and i'm gonna change what i wrote because i already kind of covered this. So I'm going to say for my second struggle that I kind of have to, this has been lifelong, but you know, especially in these last few years, I love being a solopreneur. I do not want any, I do not want employees. I even get grumpy having to like go back and forth with my cover designer and editor. Not that they're great. They're great people. They're professionals. I just don't want to deal with people. My happiest days, I go and take my laptop and I write my whatever, five or 10,000 words that I'm doing for that day. I don't answer any email. I don't do anything. I interact with nobody in a professional manner. And I just love that. So I've really resisted getting an assistant to like handle emails and stuff. Cause I know I'd have to go back and forth to them and tell them what to do. And they'd send me ones that they didn't know how to answer. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I should just do it myself. And I may, I'm grouchy, but at the same time, it's, you know, I don't have to deal with other people. So that's one thing I, I really struggle with as a just hardcore introvert to, um, I don't want any employees. I don't even want like part-time help or, you know, at a VA or anything like that. Whereas I know, and, but the frustrating thing is I see people have that and they're like, oh, it's so lovely, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, I bet it would be, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'll, maybe one day I'll cave and uh, get somebody to do the email or something, but that's one of my struggles. Again, cry me a river, like to get to the point where like, oh, should I take on employees or not? I don't know. Uh, but although a lot of authors do that pretty early. I know the people that are inclined to do that um, will get somebody to do like five, 10 hours a week or something. And I think Andrea has a bunch of assistants that she marries off to her family members eventually. That's really funny. No, that was just one nanny. Uh, my other assistants have all been married. If I married them off to my family members, it would be, uh, well, there would be illegal things happening probably. <laughs> but um, can I go ahead and comment on what you said now? Is that okay? Is yes, that what... please. I'm done. I'm done okay. ranting. This is really, let's be honest. This is turning into the Andrea, Joe and Lindsay rant about things episode. <laughs> Hopefully people can skip forward where we help other people with their rants. Hopefully, possibly. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I do have virtual assistants and all that, and I love working with them. I only actually have one right now, but, um, I really like her. She's absolutely fantastic. Um, but honestly, working with cover designers has been, uh, when I switched things to where I was no longer doing my covers and I hand them off to other people, it was so freeing. I was like, this is phenomenal. This is so amazing. But then 
like one of them almost tripled his prices. And then a really fantastic cover designer made design errors on my cover that just destroyed the book cover. And that one is long gone. You'll never see that book cover. Um, I just, it was, it was awful. Like I was like, I could be doing better. My books could be selling more. I don't want to spend that much money. I want to spend $600 on a book cover when he was charging $200 when I started, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, working with cover designers. So I'm doing my covers again because I get, I just, I get so much joy out of doing it. It's almost, almost as much as the same joy I get out of writing books. I still like writing books better, but anyway, so I, I totally get what you're saying there. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be working with somebody else because I look at their design. And I'm like, that design could be better. Or I don't, I don't want to pay that. Or I just don't want to deal with people. Again, the whole, you email a cover designer and you didn't hear back, you know, you don't hear back for like a week. And then they're like two weeks late on returning things. I'm going to get, I could have had this done in three days or even with romance. I could have had done this done like an hour. So I, I don't know. I agree with that. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah. Um, one of the great things about being an indie author is that you're incredibly nimble and you can like do get through the entire process extremely quickly. But one of the bad things is that you're doing literally everything that's involved. And especially when you get to like, you know, with the amount of output that Lindsay has and the amount of income that Lindsay has, Lindsay is a small press, like one person, small press. And th there's no small presses out there that have only one person working for them. <laughs> you know, like there's a reason that there's an entire staff at places once they get to a certain point. So uh, I don't know that I, I will ever uh, be able to convince myself to pull the trigger on having like an employee, no matter how big I get, because I, uh, talk about the slide. Like my concern is not whether or not I'll be able to use them or how if we'll get along well, or if it'll change my, my process, I would automatically be thinking about the day that I'd have to fire them because I'm no longer doing as well as I was doing, you know, like even if I was making, you know, whatever, eight digits, I'd be like, Oh, but one of these days I might have to fire Dave. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult uh, decision to make. That's one of my dreads too. I would hate to have to fire somebody if they weren't performing up to expectations. I hate confrontation. I don't want to like interview people. Uh, you guys that are not introverts just don't know how it is. Or I don't know, maybe that's a lot of women too, I think are the sort of the peacemakers. And the guys yep. are just like, what? Let that guy go. He's no yep. good. I mean, except for Joe, who's, he's chill. He would, he, it would bother Joe. I know it would. No, I had to fire, I've had to fire like five virtual assistants and I don't really fire them. I just say, hey, I'll send you another project eventually. And then I don't ever. <laughs> not non-confrontational. passive, like, I don't know. There's a not passive aggressive, but like passive unemployment or yeah. pass you've passively been unhired. I don't know. We're obviously wordsmiths on this channel. Anyway, I'll pass it off now. All right. Um, so one of my key struggles, and I think we're going to be talking about it a little bit later if we get to it or in a subsequent episode, if we don't, uh, is when I get enthusiastic about writing something, it's almost never the thing that was written with market in mind. Like as my career should indicate, I have no shortage of stories in me that I enjoy telling that also uh, attract an audience. But um, I also have a lot of ideas that are just perfectly wrong for the market. And either they're too long or uh, they're a blend of incompatible genres or you know, there's no comparable titles out there to sort of get people to understand what's in the book quickly. So 
Um, like we discussed with Mark Lefebvre, uh, uh, I get anxious when I'm not writing. And that since writing started off as my relaxing pastime, what ends up happening now is when I'm feeling stressed about what I'm doing with my money makers, uh, the way that I sort of de-stress is to go off to the side and write something else. Just, just, uh, I used the phrase palate cleanser earlier. Uh, I end up writing something wacky and then I will fall in love with a wacky thing. And I like, because I'm enjoying writing that one, because I haven't applied any stress to it, because I don't expect to ever make any money off of it. Suddenly, I'm just like, well, I, I just want to keep doing this. And uh, sometimes those end up making money too. Uh, and frequently they don't. Always they end up paying for themselves. I don't think I've had any books that didn't at least earn back. But, uh, it, you know, I almost feel like I should start a pen name just for all the oddball stuff. Like have an open open pen name, Joseph, you know, R. Lalo Esquire and just put all the wacko stuff there so that people can expect this, you know, there's the, the, the marketable stuff that people are really into all uh, segregated and it'll make its money here. And then the weirdo who never makes any money is just another guy. Uh, because uh, like I say, I'm not going to be able to stop writing the wacky stuff. The wacky stuff is where I sort of get my marbles back after I've lost them trying to keep track of four different plot threads and 180,000 words. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a struggle is uh, knowing that I can write to market, but feeling compelled to write off market. So this is something I very much feel in my heart, <laughs> my fills. <laughs> um, I don't talk about it a lot, but I've actually written several series that were, um, I did, I, my husband and I would go to the local elementary school and the kids would help us write these books. And I've got like six or seven books that we did with those, with that school, including two series. And, um, those books were passion projects. I would tell the kids my ideas and they would pick them and they were all the fun little weird things that, you know, like the ability to resurrect people and resurrecting people that are famous and dead for a long time. And those books have not done very well, but they were my weird passion projects and I got them out of my system by going to the school. And I was like, you know, I'm like serving the community and I'm writing something I want to write. So I feel good about it, but I've got so many little side stories that don't make me any money. Now, those are the ones that are all free now, but anyway, so I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's really important to, to do projects like that. Like the whole palette cleanser thing, you know, I know some authors will write a nonfiction book in between fiction projects. And I kind of feel like, our focus all the time being on what's going to make mark money and what's going to hit the market kind of kills our creative spirit sometimes. And so I don't, I don't know. I like writing those weird things. I have never written a little a pizza dragon book, but <laughs> anything like that. But I mean, those kinds of things, they give us fuel to keep going on the stuff that we also enjoy writing, but that is a little more tedious, a little harder. And that makes money. Yeah. And it can be hard to like, I feel like some people are really good at the right to market thing. They're like, they know they construct their book and it's going to sell and they know it's going to sell. There's no surprises. It does what they think. Whereas I, you know, the, it's usually looking back, like my favorite things that I'm most proud of have not been the best selling things. And then like the werewolves, werewolves, um, I, my first thought was originally kind of like, oh, that's that's the book that's going to catch on with a whole bunch of new readers. I mean, it's okay, but it wouldn't have been my like pick. Like this is my lead you lead new readers into my universe. Um, so yeah, it's hard. I think with anything creative, I feel for most people, it's kind of hard, even if you try to write it to market, 
it, it can be hard. Like I thought, honestly, I thought the epic fantasy was pretty on point for the genre when I wrote it. And it, it's not like it bombed, but it definitely wasn't one where it just like, woo, takes off, you know? And then you, once your promos run out, it keeps selling and it gets an even better ranking. And you're like, wow, awesome. Which does not happen very often, but I thought, oh, that one's actually in the genre. It might, no, no, not so much. <laughs> like, like most series, it does well as long as you're able to throw all your mailing list and you know promos and ads at it and then the gradual downhill um but i don't know how that helps joe other than to say like you know i i wouldn't give up writing your fun stuff because you might put up well and you've done this you've put a lot of effort into put writing something that you thought was going to be the one and then if that doesn't do that great you're like well shoot where does that leave me that uh, that wasn't the one either so i feel like you should at least write stuff you love and you do have, it does have to be commercial enough and then hope, <laughs> hope that's like a good suggestion, but you know, uh, things can take off too later. You can redo the covers, redo the blurbs. You never know. Um, but yeah, I guess we should go into trying to help other people with their problems now that we all sound like we have so many <laughs> issues. Why would they come to us for help? I'll pass it to you, Joe. I think you have the first question. Yep. Uh, first is from Brent, whose struggle is writing something that you love that's also commercially viable, which sounds sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Yes. Now that we've been talking about exactly this, uh, we'll attempt to make good advice. But I guess I'm going first on this one. So my my thought with this is to, you know, I always recommend to newer authors, and I don't know, Brent, if that's you or not, to write what you want for your first book or series and just Use it as an experiment, kind of learn how the market, learn the business side, learn what to, how things work. And you might get lucky and have that series take off. But if you don't, you have a better idea of what doesn't work when you're on your quest to figure out what does work and that you can see yourself writing. Um, but in the end, and we've talked about this before, excuse me sorry where's the editor um you have to do kind of the venn diagram thing where you know here's the commercially viable stuff on the left here's the things you love to write about on the right and then sort of find that area in the middle where those two overlap uh and then once you have a fan base established you can throw in some of the passion projects and you'll do, you'll get people that will check them out like i definitely get people that go check out my wacky random non-fantasy or sci-fi book that i just published by itself many years ago and like the middle grade short stories those are the hardcore fans that will <laughs> go back and read everything so um it can happen just because those things didn't really work when you release them doesn't mean that uh, they won't make some money down the road and uh, I, as I said in my section, um, like this is a problem that I struggle with. But uh, as I also said in my section, my, my the books have all made money. Uh, now, probably the books made money in part because uh, you know people are coming through from my more popular series and and just trying to find other stuff that I've written that they like. Uh, I also have a lot of connections, and I'm able to like throw them into a story bundle or something. But like I, even even Structophis, my Pizza Dragon book, I made back the money on the edit and the cover, and I'm splitting half the money from that book with the artist whose whose like premise I sort of was doing fan fiction for. So uh, you'd be surprised, uh, like you might not have a bestseller market for the kind of thing that you're trying to write, but 
you'd be amazed at what sort of things have a market. And there's plenty of success stories where somebody thought, you know, there, it turns out there is a type of book that does not have a name yet that has an enormous market of people who can't find any of them. And then yours comes out and they find it and then tell all their friends. And then, you know, yet there's only 10,000 readers in the entire world who like that sort of book, but all 10,000 of them are going to read your book. And that's enough to make a living off of. So, you know, just because it doesn't seem commercially viable doesn't mean that you can't you know in the end have it be a worthwhile title yeah i totally agree um i started my career by writing stuff i loved that wasn't commercially viable uh, i've cons- i've consistently and constantly been a square peg with a round hole author you know trying to make things fit where they didn't really fit and not quite understanding why things were go- doing well and all that the vast majority of what i've written hasn't been commercially viable the good thing is if you're productive and if you learn how to market, you'll gradually and eventually find a market for what, for a lot of what you write, like just like what Joe was just saying. So you'll get also get a feel for what your readers want. So you'll have maybe not the biggest readership, but they'll be loyal and they'll read a lot of what you write. And, um, and of course, there's going to be exceptions to that. There's always exceptions to everything. But basically, as you write and as you you know, try to get that round hole peg, square fig, square fig thing to fit. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll find, you'll find a little bit of success. You'll find readers who, who will follow you. And then you'll also, like I said, you'll also learn what you want to be writing and what you should be writing um, and should be, that's all going to be based on what you, how you feel and what circumstances you're in. Um, okay. So I'm going to go ahead to Richard. He says, crushing self doubt with self doubt with every new title, asking for a friend. <laughs> that was great. Uh, I don't think this is an uncommon struggle and my own methods for dealing with self-doubt are maybe not universally applicable, but they work for me. I have a two pronged approach. First, if I'm going, if I'm able to convince myself that being a pro author for more than five years has some sort of bearing on my current state, then I'll say, look, I've always been able to do it before. I'll just do it again. You know, like if you have a history of success of any kind to call upon, then you sort of have to trust that the person who did that can do this too. Um, if imposter syndrome is particularly speaking loud, or if I don't have any success, and there was certainly a period of my life when I didn't have any of that in writing, uh, this is what worked for me. And this is a sort of a, sort of a sideways uh, uh, you know, route into self-confidence, quote unquote. Um, I think I'm a lousy marketer, author, whatever, right? Well, if I'm so bad at it, then clearly my instincts are bad. And if my instincts are bad, then who am I to say whether I'm lousy or not? If I'm not good at this, then I'm bad at telling what's good. So, hey, maybe it turns out I'm good after all. And there's a lot of weird ways that that has helped me. Um, Like, if I feel like my book's not going to be any good, uh, I will often tell myself, well, if it's not any good, nobody's ever going to read it. So what does it matter if it's not good? I as well just finish it and put it out. Like I have always been able to self-doubt myself into finishing the thing. And once the thing is finished, you've got options. So uh, basically, uh, as long as you can get yourself to the finish line, if you sometimes you can lean on the self-doubt to do it. I, I, I distrust my own distrust. So I'm hoping there will be people in our audience who are like me so that I don't come off sounding kind of like a, um, what's an insult that's appropriate <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, I've been lucky that I don't have this struggle. Basically. Um, I have the opposite challenge. I'm a very optimistic person and I don't generally see the dark side, <laughs> see the dark side. That's why I have my husband. He's always, I'm the like head in clouds. He's the realist in the relationship. 
Um, I, I have the opposite challenge where I'm like, my book is going to be great. <laughs> it's kind of the way I approach everything. Uh, you'd think that releasing a bunch of duds would curb that enthusiasm, but it hasn't. Uh, I'm a lot more realistic now than I was when I first started out. And I generally know what to expect. And I generally know how well people will accept the book and how well they won't, which is almost has almost always been hundred percent on in the last probably five years of publishing. But I don't usually worry that readers won't enjoy what I write because I know that somewhere someone will, because in the past somewhere someone has, and, um, I'm just a, an annoying optimist. <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed about it because I, I, as I've gotten older as an adult, I recognize that it's an annoying trait and I didn't know it was annoying until I was an adult. And I was like, wow, I've been annoying people my whole life. This is really great to know anyway. Well, I do think there's kind of two kinds of writers. There's the people who are super critical of themselves and it's never good enough. And then there are people who are like, this is amazing, <laughs> you know, and it's like their first book ever. And um, they're like, just going to go right out and publish it. And it's going to become a New York Times bestseller. And like, ideally, probably if you could kind of cultivate a little bit from both places, that would be sort of the ideal situation. I don't know how possible that is. I would say, and I don't know how helpful it is, but I don't think I've ever like felt like I crushed it with a book one for a new series. Um, there are usually a couple books per series where I feel like, yeah, that was, that was good. That was good character conflict, strong story. I'm really happy with it. But that might be two books out of like the nine or the 10 in the series. And, and then there's usually one in there two in the series where I'm like, that one was weak. I knew I was weak when I was writing it, but I didn't know how to fix it. And, you know, I, I've not had things be so bad that I didn't feel like I could publish them. I, you know, I generally, the characters kind of carry the weaker plots to some extent, but um, so I don't know if it's helpful to know that to some extent that probably never goes away for those who are sort of prone to self-doubt and the, the being critical of your own work. The thing that helps me the most is just um, getting started on the next project before the last thing publishes or before like if you were submitting it to agents or whatever, before you can possibly start getting negative critiques about it, just be completely immersed in something new. And at least I have found that that's a way for me to kind of distance myself from the last thing is like, well, that's a bummer that that's not as well received as I was hoped, or maybe that's great. It's, it's better received than I hoped, but either way, I'm like totally into this new thing now. So it's only, it doesn't have as much uh, negative or positive as if you were just kind of sitting there, like if you publish it, you sit and refresh your reviews on your books page and you refresh your sales and you're like, you're really hanging on it. It's like way better to just be already into the next thing. Uh, yeah. To kind of distance yourself from it. All right. Next one is from Deanna. And this one had like several me too kind of comments. So we definitely wanted to try to address it. And her comment is self-sabotage. I thought it, I thought I had it all cleared out when I learned how not to pre-fail myself on submitting short stories to markets. As in, send the manuscript, don't pre-fail on the market by not sending. I dug out of writing, I dug out of writing self-sabotage by being a ghostwriter for a long time. Now I know how to write and how to trust risks in writing. Now I'm struggling not to get hung up on the publishing quickly. I find myself using my limited time on stupid crap. Can we say that on our show, guys? Yes. That doesn't move the needle rather than getting the books I have already written out the door. I'm working on clearing out a whole new set of bad past stuff, fears, and assumptions. 
All right, Joe, we'll give it to you first. All righty. Self-sabotage is a heck of a drug um, because you can't feel disappointed about failure if you failed on purpose, right? Uh, I wish I could tell you uh, how I personally overcame that stuff on my own, but realistically, every major step forward that I've taken has been at the behest of either two of my friends or later on my writing peers. The two friends, by the way, are Sean and Carrie. They do not listen to this show, <laughs> but uh, just thought I'd, I'd put their names out there. Uh, so if I were to offer advice to people who suffer from self-sabotage, I would say to find a, a friend or a family member, somebody you trust, who you also trust to be able to understand the subject. And even if you have to sort of coach them up on it and you explain to them what you're doing and what you're planning to do and what you think you're going to do. And, and if you think you're self-sabotaging. Sometimes just saying out loud your plans is going to make that clear to you. And if that's not the case, chances are uh, if these people are trustworthy and you've given them enough of groundwork or if they're already in the same area as you are, they're going to start parroting back the exact advice that you have been ignoring yourself or that you've been avoiding yourself. And hearing it come out of somebody else is so much more powerful for me. Like I, again, distrust myself. I have self-doubt. But when somebody I trust tells me something that I also thought, well, then suddenly I start trusting myself again. And I move forward. So that's what's worked for me. Uh, and this has the added bonus, by the way, of potentially having your confidant catch a flaw in your thinking that maybe they'll actually give you an idea that you didn't even think of. Like not only was I self-sabotaging, but there's better choices than even the one I was avoiding. So so I definitely uh, feel like pulling in a third party can, can help you through that. Um, that bit about doing stupid crap that doesn't move the needle. And yes, stupid crap, stupid crap. There, I said it lots. <laughs> um, it really beep, hit beep, beep. <laughs> Josh, you're going to need to edit this. Just kidding. <laughs> now he's going to be like, wait, what? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that really hit me. Uh, it just, it hit me in the fills. Uh, I do this frequently. Um, most of the time it's because I suddenly find myself with time to write and I can't quite wrap my mind around it. And so I do stupid, useless tasks that end up taking up the time I had, like playing a game on my phone or checking email or Facebook. Um, and those last two aren't happening a lot right now, especially email, since I don't do email on my phone and my computer was totally inaccessible for at least a week after surgery, kind of almost two weeks after surgery. I just getting to my computer was really difficult. So anyway, I had a couple of people send me emails being like, hello, where have you been? I'm like, sorry, I had surgery. I ain't, I ain't getting on email. Anyway, I came up, I come up with great ways to make sure I'm not wasting time. Then I gradually drift away from those great ways. A lot of the, a large part of the problem is I almost have, I have almost zero downtime and I can't sacrifice sleep because of, I have Epstein-Barr and when I get flare-ups, it gets really, I get super, super sick. And so I have to get sleep. Um, anyway, so when I do get downtime, the urge to do meaningless tasks is really strong. It's like stare at a wall for 10 minutes or play a game on my phone. <laughs> both, have, both have been happening a lot these past few weeks. I'm so tired, so tired of being practically bedridden. Anyway, suffice to say, I feel this one. Uh, and what's a great way to get around it? Um, so scheduling me time that is separate from work time. I know I need downtime where my brain doesn't need to go at a million miles an hour. And I know I need social face-to-face -face time and not just like, like what we're doing right here, but in person, you know, seeing human beings and knowing that there's other people in the world. And yes, that's, an, that's an extrovert thing. Lindsay's like, no, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's okay to do that and schedule writing time. Uh, you all know your schedules. You all know what you need to feel like a human being and to actually feel like you, um, 
feel like you're alive basically. And you can figure out what needs to happen to get there. And sometimes, especially when you have, when you have young kids, the answer is going to be, it might need to wait a bit. Being a parent means putting your kids first because they tend to die. If you don't, <laughs> you have to feed them and you have to change diapers and all of that. But as everyone likes to remind me all the time, this season of life ends quickly. And I know we have, we have listeners who are in similar where they're like constant panic, constant state of stress and everything. And just recognize that that doing stupid things is fine. Doing, doing little things that don't mean, don't move the needle. That's totally okay. Just focus rather on, instead of on that, just focus on what you can be, how you can be productive, what you are doing that is, is moving the needles and don't focus on the negative and make sure you're scheduling you time plus work time, not just, you know, not just you time where you have to cram in all of your away from other people time and, and work into one. I don't know. That's kind of what's been helping me the last few months. All right. Well, I don't have a lot to add just because I'm not really good at figuring out what makes other people tick. (laughs) I can never be like a coach or anything, but I thought it was interesting that Deanna said she was kind of rocking it when she was ghostwriting. So I wonder if publishing under a pen name might help. Like, is there some feel, are you like maybe feeling, fearing failing publicly um, or just maybe having standards or stressing yourself out because other people might witness you. I don't, I I don't know. Um, But you know, that's always a way, like I know a lot of people use pen names to try stuff and they tell nobody and, and that way if they fail, nobody knows. But if you're successful, then you can say like, Hey guys, I'm totally doing this thing here. Check it out. We get all these five-star ratings and all this money in the bank account um, or whatever is success to you. So that was just my thought on that one. And I will pass it to Joe for the next question. All right. Casey says, uh, I'm new and I don't have a big budget. Uh, adds to a first in the series 99 cents book is getting clicks and readers, but I haven't made money yet. I am okay with spending a little more to gain readers, but I'm also not in a place to lose a lot. Would spending more bring profit or just dig me deeper? And I'll say that I'm by no means the, uh, the advertising success story of the group, but, uh, I'd say that you don't want to go into debt or burn through a big budget chasing huge returns. I would focus on getting a stable, if small return on investment first. And then once you can achieve that, then slowly scaling, dumping a huge amount of money into an ad very quickly levels out. Like there's a, there's a, a point of diminishing returns you hit very quickly with advertising. And even if your ads work, you're still waiting two months before you get the money that you made from that ad campaign. So then you have to keep the ad campaign up at that level for two months straight if you want to have steady earnings before you actually start making back the money you were spending to make the money. So uh, yeah, it really, uh, it, it, it's the sort of thing that um, you should start slow and scale, I would recommend. Where's the mute button? <laughs> Anyway, I a billion times percent agree with Joe and I'm going to reiterate it, but in my own words, don't go into debt and don't spend money you'll need and would struggle without. Um, so what I did is this, I used a bit of personal money to get started and then slowly, 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 I worked my way up from that to more books as websites to promote for me, et cetera. And every cent of the business either went to future business efforts or to pay back that loan of personal money. So if you make $60 on books, put that towards a free booksy ad or something. Uh, Honestly, don't start messing around with Facebook or Amazon ads until you have disposable, steady income and a bunch of books to test ads on, uh, because you don't know which book's going to do really well. And it takes, it takes time and money to learn the systems enough to actually make a profit on them. Instead, you know, 
I don't know, like those websites that do promotions, they, they, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They already know how to promote to their readers and they already know how to get people to download. And so anyway, and then also if you have an ad that's doing really, really well, the worst thing that can happen is having to stop it because starting it up again, they almost don't always, they almost never actually do as well the second time around. Anyway, so there are promotional companies that already know how to get attention from readers. Use them, plan a promotion every month to every quarter, either with free days or for perma-free and focus on writing more books. And I actually took a peek at Casey's books. It was about a week ago since so it's a little fuzzy now, but it looked like she had maybe three or four in the series where book one was 99 cents. Um, I would definitely say if you're not able to make money right now, throwing more money at it is it's just going to amplify the badness. <laughs> like you're going to lose more money faster. So like Joe was saying, make sure it works on a small scale before you try to ramp up. And, you know, it, it could you, possibly with what you've got, you could become profitable on ads. One thing you might try is raising the prices, try like $2.99 on book one and maybe $4.99 on the subsequent books that might help out a little bit. Uh, if you're, I think, I can't remember if you were in Kindle Unlimited, I, I think so, but um, that kind of I actually saw, have seen prices go up on books. There used to be a lot more 99 cent books. Now almost nobody that's in KU does it. They just launched it 399 or 499 because they know two thirds of the readers are just going to borrow it anyway. Um, so don't be afraid of like trying higher prices for a while. And what might happen is that the ads that didn't work at 99 cents and 299, 299 will actually turn profitable when the books are a little more expensive and you, you stand to make a little more margin. Um, but if it's not working, even at that with like four books, uh, I would probably tinker with like the covers, blurbs, you know, it, it's usually a sign like you, it's very common. I mean, I would say it's almost impossible to turn a profit on a 99 cent book by itself. Um, but if you've got more books in the series, but the read through isn't enough, or, you know, the, the ads are not converting well enough that you're able to break even at that point, you know, maybe that's time to tinker with things a little bit. But like I said, the first thing I'd probably try is just try raising the prices. Cause I, I think that's probably another reason why prices went up because everybody has to advertise now. So we have to make more on each book in order for that to work, especially like Amazon and Facebook ads. Um, but yeah, like Andrea said too, you can just start with the bargain book C or free book C, you know, sort of those fussy librarians, even cheaper, some of those e-reader news today, those kind of sites and, you know, just wait until you've got the extra money and then do it then and don't necessarily have to have like ongoing expenses when you're not turning a profit yet. All right, next question. Is that me? <laughs> I was just messaging you guys saying, hey, I just got selected for a BookBub feature. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of features, they just sent me the email. I'm like, yay. <laughs> so you are completely focused on what we are doing and saying here on the podcast. Okay. I got it. I see how it is. I'm, I'm like looked over. I'm like, oh, new email from uh, for BookBub. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, they haven't selected me in like a year. So this makes me very excited. Anyway, if you guys can get a BookBub promo, do it. Obviously, it's like one of those. If you guys can get one <laughs> anyway. Okay. So Christine says getting my butt in chair with nonstop emotional crisis occurring. Hey, I understand this <laughs> such as neighbor backs into garage, destroying it. Dog sick with nonstop diarrhea for a week. Dad in hospital. Dad is lung cancer. Dad is three weeks to live. Holy cow. Sorry. Um, how do I compartmentalization so I can write because I need money to live on? 
All right. I, I, I don't know how useful I will be, but I'll do my best here. Uh, real life can throw a lot of things at you that no reasonable person could or should ignore. Uh, 2020 through 2021 have given us a lot of reasons to be distraught rather than productive. Uh, I can't give you a magic solution, but there's a few things that you can do to sort of mitigate the damage. First, uh, give yourself permission to ease up on your quotas. I realize, again, you're, if, if writing is your only job, then this is hard to do, but it as destructive as it can be to have to slow down, if you simply don't give have the mental presence to keep yourself on task, the only thing beating yourself up over missing your word counts will do is add more stress and anxiety. So you sort of have to be aware that if something is going on in your life, it's going to impact your amount of writing you're going to do. And just giving yourself permission to not always hit the mark is going to take a little bit of the edge off in terms of just mental health. Um, also, uh, making some progress is better than no progress, and sometimes making any progress is a triumph, so treat it that way. If, there's, if, if everything is on fire around you and you do any work at all, it's a victory, and just keep that in mind and try to use that for motivation. Uh, also, chances are that there was a time in your life that you considered writing to be an escape. And uh, this is a time when you could really use an escape. So try to remind yourself of how useful it is to get lost in a story and maybe even give yourself a few days to write something a little more escapist for you, like I was talking about earlier that I do. Uh, if you can find some joy in writing again, you'll run to it for relief rather than having to fight to keep doing it. So I realize it's easier said than done, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that's worked for me in the past. Lindsay's comment, <laughs> don't let her write a piece of dragon novel. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, don't do that. That's my market. <laughs> he's got he's got all the books in that market. <laughs> anyway, so um, I have unpopular advice here, and this is this is something that authors would probably spear me over if they were in the same room with me right now. But I feel this strongly. Uh, consider getting a part time job, and I know that that it. Okay, I'm going to say I know in the writing market, getting a job is almost the same thing as admitting defeat, but it is not. It is absolutely not. Uh, it, yes, it cuts into writing time, but you're already there with all the emergencies happening. And I'm so, I, like I said earlier, I'm so sorry. All of that's been going on is that's just insane. Uh, but having something little on the side that brings in some money can be incredibly freeing emotionally and mentally. And I recommend police pizza delivery, which is really funny that Lindsay said that because I, I've delivered pizzas three times. I've done that three times as a job, uh, in my adulthood. And it is so much fun guys. Okay. It is so much fun. I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but you listen to audiobooks. <laughs> you listen to audiobooks and you sit in traffic and you, and I know traffic can be horrible, but you're, you're making money while you're sitting in traffic. And if you're a girl, which I am, and I think what the question was, Christine, they tip better if you're a girl, <laughs> sorry guys, but you get better tips. I would get $20 tips all the time delivering pizzas, you know, even if it was like a five minute drive, you know, and, um, you listen to audiobooks, you can even possibly dictate and brainstorm while you're in traffic. And I just, I love delivering pizzas and, and Michael Brent Collins. I don't know if you guys remember, we've had him on the show. Haven't we? We had him on the show. Yes. He's fantastic. He's, he's a really great friend. And he quit, he announced that he was quitting writing and he's like, I'm done doing this. And he went and got a job as a pizza delivery person. And that was a really good thing for him because he knew he had some money coming in. It took the pressure off writing. It allowed himself time to breathe and get in a good place. And then he was able to focus on writing. And so that's something I'm, I'm going to recommend, even though it, like I said, if authors were in the same room with me, they'd spear me over, but it is not admitting defeat. It is allowing you yourself time to heal and to 
get back into a good spot emotionally and just get a grip on everything so that you're not putting so much pressure on yourself, especially when writing is such a hard way to make money. And guys, it, it really is. It is hard to predict how much money you're going to make when you write a book, when you deliver pizza or work a job that pays hourly, you know exactly how much money you're going to be getting. And there's just something freeing about that. I would have loved a pizza delivery job. You barely have to talk to people except when you, here's your pizza. Although you only got like about a three-year window before it's all going to be like automated cars and drones. So take advantage of that sucker while you can. Um, my only other thought was, you know, and yeah, it sucks that you're going through all that. And there's just some times when you're not going to be able to be productive in a creative way. Um, so I agree that like a simple job might make things easier, might make it so writing becomes your escape again, like Joe was talking about, and not this huge thing that you feel this pressure to make pay the bills. Um, another possibility, especially if there's something you have some expertise on, is try writing some nonfiction. Uh, I feel that, you know, I don't write nonfiction books myself, but I used to blog. That was before I became a uh, fiction author. That was how I made a living was just turning out blog posts. And I found that it was like, as long as it was a topic you knew, I, I could just kind of regurgitate it. It was like super easy for me to whip out like a thousand, two thousand words of nonfiction versus writing fiction. You kind of have to be in the right headspace. Like it's hard to force it. I mean, to some extent, yeah, you can turn off all the distractions and you probably can make yourself write and, and you probably will be able to get into it maybe. But um, sometimes it's just, you kind of have to have like a different place and it needs to be like, like I have my writing place and if there's somebody outside making noise or something, you know how it is, it kind of interrupts you. Um, so that's just uh, another possibility. All right. Uh, I think we only have one or two more guys. We've been going for an hour, but we'll go ahead and push through here since we're almost done. Juliana, Juliana, Juliana says, uh, it's about self-doubt and perfectionism. I know I need to write more to learn how to write better and to figure out what I actually like to write and how it intersects with the market. But at what point do I actually get to finish a book without descending into a spiral of worry while writing and wondering if the story is any good? Can I expect this to go away at book 10 when I've got a thousand loyal readers who consistently buy my books or never and if it's never how do you deal with that while consistently writing and publishing uh, i hate to say it but self-doubt at least in my case never completely goes away i talked about it in prior answers these days i've basically personified my self-doubt as a whole separate voice in my head and then it's like oh great this guy's yammering in my ear about how i'm an awful author what does he know um, uh, I've also found it useful to read my older books. I tend to hate what I'm working on while I'm working on it. But uh, when I read my older stuff that I have had some distance from, I find myself thinking like, well, this, this is pretty good. Or sometimes when I'm, when I'm revising something, I'll think in my head like, oh, you know, be a good line here is this. And then the next line is that line. Like when, when you go back and sort of realize that what you're writing is to your taste, uh, you start to realize that, it's maybe to other people's taste too. So even if I hated the old stuff when I wrote it, um, or like if I go back and reread something and I see, oh man, that was that was from my first few years and it really isn't as well written as it could be. I try to remind myself that that means that I have to have grown, like that it took me by surprise that I, that my first books had that particular flaw. It means I can spot that flaw, which means I'm probably not making that flaw. So. I, I guess, yeah, just sort of pushing the, keeping in mind the voice of self-doubt is sort of a separate part that you can ignore or at least turn it into background noise in your head like I do. Uh, and sort of remind yourself that, you, you know, of the trajectory of your writing career is upward in terms of skill. Even if you're 
earnings aren't upward in terms of skill. Uh, and even if your earnings aren't upward, your skill always is going up. You're always learning more. So uh, yeah, just just do your best to remind yourself of that. Yeah, I read older stuff of mine too. If I want a reminder that I rock <laughs> underneath. I mean, honestly, sometimes I don't even remember writing some things and I'm like, oh, that was actually not bad. Like that, you know, and um, I, I am an eternal optimist, but I do know that I'm not the best writer. And so I do get like discouraged and, you know, like, why is my book not selling things like that? But then I go and, you know, I'm like, it's not a bad book. It's just didn't hit the market right, maybe. But if I've got the talent to write, then I can apply that to something that might or should sell better. Um, I don't have a lot of advice for this right now, but I'm going to give you a virtual hug. Um, authors have so much pressure on them to do well and to do it right from the start. Pretty much all of that pressure comes from inside, by the way. Um, no one else will notice if you fail. That's both encouraging and discouraging. <laughs> and authors stop writing all the time and most people don't even notice. Most of the other authors don't even notice when somebody stops unless they say something, which is unfortunate, but there's just so many, we have so many author friends who are writing. It's really hard to keep up with everybody unless you're like contacting them individually, which I know you're not doing it because people are not contacting me to see if I'm still writing, <laughs> but you can't rely on Facebook. And so you don't know, there's a lot of people that stop writing for like a year or two or more, and then they start up again. And most people won't even notice. Uh, when I began, I didn't know hardly any authors who were independently publishing. And now there are tons. And that's good because it means there's a lot of information on how to do things well. But it's bad because there are a lot of stories of successful authors, tons. And the overwhelm that comes with just how many authors are out there now. So there's we have competition and authors do really well. And you hear about those success stories. And there is just so much pressure. So give yourself grace. Do your best to turn off your inner critic and recognize that your folks first books won't be your best, but that you will get better as a writer. And that's encouraging. So, and then just don't give up. Yeah. I would say that to some degree, if you're prone to it, you're always going to have some self-doubt and some feelings that the books aren't as good as you wish they were. What does get better with practice with finishing manuscripts is your ability to construct a solid book. Eventually you kind of internalize all the writing rules and advice, and it's just ingrained in the back of your mind. And that lets you focus on basically the characters and the stories, which tends to simplify things. If you're not sitting there thinking obsessively about each sentence. Um, lastly, whatever you're working on now and struggling with, especially if it's your first book, I'd say maybe put it aside and start something new, knowing what you know now, uh, I often see authors get hung up on their first book. Uh, it's usually a freaking mess because they've been learning and workshopping and getting feedback from others and making all these changes, all these edits, and they've rewritten huge chunks of it. And it doesn't really flow nearly as well as it used to because of that. At that point, it's often easier to start a new project or just start the story over again from scratch. When What became my first book, The Emperor's Edge, is not the first manuscript I wrote with those characters. I think there were two others that I got to the end with, along with some short stories and half started things when I realized, oh, I'd actually like to do something different, something better that ended up being better with those characters. That first novel is still first novel-ish, first novel-ish, we'll say that's a word, but it's a lot better than the earlier iterations. And for me anyway, I, there's just a point where it's much easier to start from scratch and write knowing everything you know now than trying to keep rehashing the same manuscript over and over again. So just my thoughts on that possibility, if it helps at all. All right. One more question, guys. 
All right, this one's from Phoenix Hayes. The vicious cycle of you need more reviews to get more sales, but you need more sales to get the reviews. Three books published of the plan six in the series and about halfway through book four. Struggling with motivation. I reworked the blurb and I'm debating on changing the beginning of book one to give it a faster start. Restarting ads on Amazon to see if the chapter really needs changed out. Guess I'm gave myself the first spot again, um, but yeah, you can usually get more reviews by asking for them in the back and then doing combining that with a free run with some promos like Free Booksy or Fussy Librarian to get more people to actually read the book. Um, it is important to know that if you're kind of struggling with everything around sales, reviews, everything, just getting people to check it out, that often our book ones are a lot weaker than later books in the series, especially if it's our first series. And that's tough because that's how people judge us. That's how they're going to decide if they're going to read more or not. And, you know, it's going to be a harder sell if it's not as solid as, uh, as the later books. And if you've already retooled the cover and blurb, you know, and I would say rather than rewriting the beginning, unless you feel like, oh yeah, I, I could do that so much better now. And I want to invest my time in that, you know, maybe think about writing another book in the series that could also serve as an entry point and kind of turning your marketing stuff towards that for a while. It could be like a standalone side adventure rather than a numbered book and, and met you with the same characters and, you know, at the back of it, you know, sometimes after you've written a few books and you know the characters a lot better, you can just bust out writing some really fun adventure with them in a way that it's hard to in a book one where you're painstakingly introducing everyone and the world. And those of us who do sci-fi and fantasy in particular know about all that. Those challenges, you can't just say, oh, it's Seattle in 2021. <laughs> you know, and people know exactly where it is. Oh, you have to build this entire world. But um, so, yeah, if you try a new one, then at the end of it, you can direct the people who finished it to the checkout book one and the rest of the series. And at that point, if they enjoyed the one they read, they'll probably cut you more slack with that one. And then maybe they'll get into the series. So that's another option. If you don't really want to rewrite book one, but you feel it is maybe the weaker installment in the series. Um, but yeah, if you don't care about any of that free book run, ask for reviews in the back and see if you can get some more. Yeah. Uh, a long time ago, we were talking about like back matter. And I, we sort of brought up that you really only have room for one call to action. Uh, like you can put as many as you want, but people aren't going to like make a checklist of the things you asked for and then go through and do all of them. So if you're using your, or in, in any situation where you have your hands on, on your audience, uh, if, if reviews are your focus, then you should be, you should ask for reviews until you feel as though you have enough reviews to suit your purposes. I'll also say that, uh, reviews are super handy for any number of reasons. Like they give, you know, social proof to people who are on the fence about buying your book and they, uh, give you the ability to assess their content. By the way, uh, I would, I typically lean away from rewriting something once it's been released. I will recover and reblurb and all that, but the actual content of the book, I tend not to touch too much. Uh, unless I'm going to do just a full re-release. And you certainly shouldn't do a full re-release if it's the lead-in to other books. So I would consider that to be a last resort, particularly if you don't have, again, if you're short on reviews, you don't know if the opening of your book is the problem. And uh, if you really want to make sure that that's the problem, I don't know how much workshopping you've done, but you might want to get into a workshop, find a, a, some folks to, to read the book and see how what they think about your intro. Um, but back to the subject of the reviews, uh, if you like reviews are super duper useful, but they're not everything. Uh, and reviews come naturally from sales. This is to say, you know, it's a catch 22. So, uh, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't get too hung up on, on, on reviews. And I would probably focus a little bit more on sales, uh, uh, because they are literally necessary for reviews to occur. Um, 
once you get like double digit reviews, I feel like the 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 return on investment, so to speak, of a review gets smaller and smaller. So yeah, uh, focus on sales and be certain that what you're tr- you're trying to fix is worth fixing before you commit time and effort to it. And honestly, BookBub, like if you go through what they accept, they have a lot of reviews, but the other websites aren't nearly, nearly as picky. You could get some of them with just five reviews and 10 reviews, and that's all you need to get started and to get those downloads that you need. Uh, and something I would recommend is consider running Facebook ads to test that first chapter. You can put the the chapter directly into your ad as the actual ad copy and I would do an A-B test. So set up that ad with, you know, an image based on the book cover or whatever image, it doesn't really matter. Just one that rep- represents the book with the first chapter of your book in the ad copy, and then put the first chapter of another book or one that you feel was a strong beginning and into that, or even ask an author friend, you know, for their first chapter and have the link go to their, the author friend's book or whatever, and then just see, have it go to the same audience and have the same image. And, um, to see which, which ad gets clicked more and the one that gets clicked more, if, if the other one gets clicked better than the one of the book that you're kind of not feeling is, is the super strongest, um, then, um, you know, then, you know, you need to, to do a little bit more work on it. But when it comes to getting reviews, it's super tedious in the beginning. It's really tedious and it takes a really long time. And, and you can't, keep yourself up at night, stressing about that, just because it's really, you can't really, you can control how many reviews you get, but you can't. So if you have a review team, you can control how many people on your review team, how many people are on your review team based on how many people are on your subscriber or subscribe to your newsletter list. And guys, I'm, I, my brain is so done. I'm really struggling here. It's the drugs and the surgery. I'm in pain. Um, but Anyway, so I would, I would recommend posting around looking for volunteers. You can post on Facebook and use hashtags on Twitter, ask for people who would be willing to leave an honest review in exchange for a free book. Um, don't get spammy, of course, but it needs to start somewhere. Um, you can look into review services like Hidden Gems and Reading Deals has a review service. I can't remember what it's called, but I, I've used it at least once or twice. Uh, Booksprout is something you can use as well. But anyway, so that's, that's where I am right now with my romances. I haven't had the time to do anything with them and there's not that many reviews on them. So, which is kind of cool because they are downloading, but anyway, I'm so I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) That was our last question. This has been like an hour and 20 minutes. So I think it's excusable to be worn down. Uh, Do you guys have any final thoughts before we close up the show? Um, I'll just say that, you know, it is refreshing to see uh, all these struggles laid out. People often are kind of um, hesitant to talk about the things that they're struggling with because they're concerned that it makes you feel weak or they'll be afraid that they're the only one struggling with that. And I think that we've illustrated here that we all have uh, a lot of the same struggles. Yeah, you will be surprised how much even that person you watch that they do so well that you think they've got all their crap together. I think we decided we can say that. Um, they probably have their issues too. <laughs> like I said earlier, I think writers are, we're drawn to this because we're kind of messed up and we can't make our way in like average, typical society having a normal job. So we're just drawn to this. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I feel like I've met a lot of writers that are depressed on eight different medications, you know, and it's great if you can make a living uh, from home. It's like the dream, Um, but it's tough. It's, It's not as easy as people think it is. All right. We better let Andrea go. She's about to pass out. 
And wrapping it up, thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a question or comment at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye-bye. See y'all later. So long, everybody.